Your favorite guys, your favorite lines Change my mind Yeah so this man needs no introduction. Of course, he has an amazing history with Batman. And between DC's Death Metal, Undiscovered Country, American Vampire, and Now or Not Terror, he may have the hottest brand in all of comics right now. Scott <laughs> Snyder, thanks so much for joining Doc and I. How are you doing? Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Nick. It's great to see you, Joe. I really appreciate it. So obviously you're coming up on the final day of your Noctera campaign over on Kickstarter. And I think it was, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, within the first four hours of the campaign, you reached your, your original goal, right? Yeah, it was something amazing like that. I mean, we really were blown away. So yeah, we can't thank everybody enough. It's been, the whole experience has been pretty overwhelming. So the, I mean, obviously that is, that's stunning to see that happen right out the gates. But is that the, like, what's the most shocking part of this entire experience been for you? Was it that, or was there some other element to it? Yeah. You know what it was? It was, um, I didn't realize how supportive and how inclusive the Kickstarter community is and how much it, I, I didn't realize how much it kind of speaks to the spirit of comics right now, not as a, um, not as like a platform that I think is necessarily like the future of comics or anything like that as an actual distribution mechanism, but more as something that embodies this, this kind of idea that there should be a greater sense of connection between creators and fans and greater interactivity, uh, greater um, uh, sort of um, adaptability of a project to what creator, what, to what fans want. All of this kind of, all of this kind of connection, it made me realize, like, because it's been brewing for a long time for me and for um, a bunch of other creators I talk to all the time, like James Tynan. And you can see it in the stuff he's doing as well with with um, the way he's kind of, he's made um, merchandise for his books. He's started a newsletter to circumvent sort of conventional DC publicity in certain ways. All of it is kind of a, a, a seismic shift that I think we're all seeing towards greater connection with our fans and delivering work in ways that um, is a little bit more organic or has more transparency to the process of making it because the circumstances right now on every front, I mean, whether you're talking about, you know, the political climate or you're talking about COVID or you're talking about the anxiety in the air because of just, you know, there being uh, such economic difficulty to, all of it is just divisive and sort of disconnection, you know, dis, almost like a, uh, just sort of, uh, it forces everybody apart divisive. And, and it's just like, it, it's, it feels like it's, it's, you know, separating us from one another mm-hmm. and, um, and on every level and pushing harder and harder for us, uh, us all into our silos. So what I love about Kickstarter and the thing that was most surprising, honestly, was that was that, it spoke to this kind of thing that I've been feeling and a lot of us have been feeling beneath the surface um, in a big way. And, and the reaction from fans and the enthusiasm with which they met the campaign and also just the community I found on there and the kind of rabid passion that they have for getting projects unfiltered, having connection with the creators, you know, um, helping shape that project. All of that was like, just incredibly inspiring, honestly. I mean, it's, it sounds hokey, but finding, getting, like, just even going back and forth with Brian Stelfreeze today, he made a picture of our character and his character and, like, you know, that. It was like, I, I worked at DC for a long time and we, we didn't get, we never really interacted. You know what I mean? And that, mm-hmm. just those things, finding that book, Okamus, finding the OZ, talking to David about that, finding 
um, other GoFundMe's projects that aren't even on Kickstarter, but the creators on there said, you know what, you might, if you liked this thing you backed, why don't you take a look at this? It just, it's made me feel very connected to a really passionate sort of uh, neighborhood of comic creators suddenly that you, that I wouldn't have seen otherwise, really. You know, I wouldn't have, I, I, I get isolated because of the kind of, um, the pressure on some of the stuff I do for DC. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, um, I'm not like young in the game at all too. So I'm not like hungry, like coming up at conventions the way I was, where it was like you and your friends making it together. You know, that was my generation was like me and Lemire came in together. You know what I mean? Lemire and I were like at cons hustling together. Me and, uh, and, uh, uh, and Raphael, I mean, James came up under, you know, right under me, but James Tynan was like with me, you know, in that regard, but like, you know, I'm, I'm the, I'm, I came up after Jason Aaron and those guys, I watched them and then I was right behind that. So that whole curve of people that kind of came in, in that era of the 2010s with the new 52 and, and that time, you know, um, for, for us, like I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not on the, I'm not on the ground as much. So Kickstarter mm-hmm. just really allowed me um, a way in to, to see more of, of the projects that I, uh, and the kind of, neighborhoods of creators that I wouldn't otherwise I try really hard to keep up with um especially with indie stuff outside of um you know outside of my wheelhouse a bit and follow vault and scout and aftershock and boom obviously and all of it you know but uh it's just it gets harder and harder you know especially when you're I have I've just been busier than I ever ever uh you know I'm busier than I ever have been in my whole career right now so it's been hard but kickstarter was great so you talked about your, your brand a little bit and how you, you're not, you know, on the ground floor. And I think it, no, no one's going to argue that it's pretty, it's abundantly clear. And of course, with the success of Kickstarter, it's, it makes it even more clear. Were you aware of, I, I just wonder with someone who's, who has such a high profile now in their industry, are you aware of where your standing was? And I know you, where you set the bar for your Kickstarter, did you expect to at all ex- exceed it or exceed it as quickly, nearly as quickly as you did? No. And, you know, the reason I think partly is because the business model that we're trying with it or the kind of thing we're trying with it is, um, is kind of, is different than the conventional Kickstarter approach. You know, most people doing a book on Kickstarter, they're doing a full book um, or they're doing a chapter of something they're going to continue on Kickstarter. And then if they find a distributor or a publisher later down the road, that's great. Um, but it's really sort of a, a full package and a singular thing through Kickstarter for us, we already have the book committed to image um, and it's an ongoing series. Uh, and so it was a really interesting math in the way of deciding how to make something that wouldn't step on retailers toes at all. Like we could have just done, Hey, we're doing a special extra long edition of the first issue and it's signed. Um, and the problem with that is that it cuts into retailer sales because if we had a robust campaign like we did and you know, even a few thousand people buying it, uh, or even if a few thousand people bought it, that hurts retailers, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we wanted to make something that was like twofold. The w- one idea was uh, the emotional aspect of it was wanting to make something collectible, wanting to make something personal, wanting to give people a glimpse inside of our collaboration, make them feel just like we're talking about, you know, that they, they have kind of a, a role to play in the camp, in the book itself and the campaign that, the campaign is about letting them in behind the curtain, letting them feel part of the team, invest in the book, 
um, at a time when, again, circumstances are just driving all of us apart. Uh, the pragmatic aspect of it is that we, we thought about just doing the book with image without any kind of um, campaign at all. And that's how I've done most of my books. But the problem with that is that you're taking a really big leap of faith, um, you know, when you do a creator own book. Uh, where you're not taking an advance from the company or anything like that, just because you usually work on five to six issues before you see any returns, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in that case, the problem is, you know, when you're working with somebody for me, like Tony, Tony, Tony has kids, his whole family, you know, his family depends on his income and, and that stuff. And he would do it. He has, you know, we, we could, we could make it work, but in COVID times and in a time when the whole industry could shut down again. It's really, it's a lot to ask. You know what I mean? And it's not like I can't pay for, you know, some, some of his, some of his issues, but I can't secure six issues of a DC page rate or seven issues of a DC page rate to him and to Mayo who has a DC rate and the letter. And the, that's a lot of that, that winds up being a lot of money. It's like, it's more than we actually set our goal for the campaign. You know, it's probably about $60,000. Um, and that's not something I can just secure, you know, in that way myself. So the, the usual way you do it is you just make the comic and you, you kind of, um, you take the risk and, and as you're going, you have other work and you kind of put it together in different, um, and, you know, in patchwork or, or you just kind of commit and you do it and, and whatever, or you, you know, you just kind of pay yourselves however you're going to manage. But we thought here, the, the benefit of this is that small publishers or indie publishers, if you're, if you're somebody who's going to be a moneymaker for them, sometimes we'll offer a page rate. And we're luckily we're in that position. But the problem with that is that we really felt weird about taking money away from, you know, from image at a time when we felt the resources could be put to better use, both in mm -hmm. staff and in, um, in other creators that might need it more than us. So it felt weird for us to be like, yeah, we'll take a page rate um after everything hit they were very kind they after everything hit they offered it again to us and that stuff too even in addition to the kickstarter but we were um we really felt like we just wanted to you know we wanted to let them focus their uh their assets elsewhere so um yeah i mean for us i think we didn't know what to expect at all you know because it's a weird thing to ask it's like a black and white art book with the script not lettered you know, uh, there's no color and it, it, it's got like a short story in it. It's got, it's, it's a process book. And for me, it's like a sure thing. I mean, if you offered me this with like, you know, Donnie's Venom or, or, uh, you know, uh, really anything. I mean, any book that I really follow, Alice Hulk, like all of it, I'd be like, please let me see the script and how the, you know, the process. Um, but I don't know if other people are like that. So the fact that it, it went so well, and exceeded all our expectations. I mean, by far, you know, we, 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 it really allowed me to pay for the next book in the line. And I have, I, the thing is like, to be clear, like I have, um, I have a bunch of books um, that, that I'm working on. And I've teased a couple of them because of the promos, you know, I have one with Jock, I have one with Francesco Frank Villa that we've been teasing for a year. You can see that one we've done in a conventional way where we kind of put it together as we could on the side of other work. Um, I have one with Francis Manipal. So all of this was kind of coming together. And I was like, you know what? I don't want COVID and this stuff to make me feel and my friends feel like we have to really put this stuff on the back burner because we have to go for the sure thing in the pocket at Marvel or DC right now. Um, or, you know, we have to really pull advances from companies if we can or, 
where I have to, you know, I have to try other things like um, you can try and sell the film rights first and then take money from that. If you're lucky enough to do that, you can sell the foreign rights first, take money from that. You know, some of my friends have done that, but the whole thing is just really risky in this environment. Like, you know, we sold the foreign rights and I'm sorry if this is like so inside baseball. No, it's great. Yeah. We sold their foreign rights to undiscovered country, but we still haven't gotten that um, money yet because of taxes and restrictions that really uh, sort of became much more complicated during COVID. Mm. Um, so, and that was, you know, we sold that almost a year ago now. So, I mean, um, and there's nothing against, I love the people we're working with and it's not no one's fault whatsoever. It's just logistical. But so that's what I'm saying. It's like, I could be like, guess what, Francis? Like, let's go sell the foreign rights. We sell the foreign rights and then we don't get the money for a year, you know, or even like, so this with the the goal with the campaign from a completely business standpoint, you know, was to say, can I, can I make some money to have in the bank to pay it forward for art on these books that I'm doing and have some kind of safety net so that I have methods of paying everybody um, in different ways. Like some of them, I have enough to pay for the first arc. Some of them, they, we made a deal where they're going to, we're going to both work for free on it for a while. And then after a certain, you know, some of them I have, different kinds of investments I'm looking into right now that I'm excited about um, digital first, all kinds of stuff. Um, but the bottom line is uh, for these books that were really direct market focused, that were like straight to image. And I wanted the first book out of best jacket to be something that would just bite your face, you know, and be like high octane horror. You mm-hmm. can't put it down. It's like an idea I had a couple of years ago when my kid started having the same fears about the dark that I had when I was a kid. And I was just like, I have to do this. It's so simple. It's one of those simple concepts where you're like, it's just night all the time. And the nighttime turns people into monsters. Let's do it. Boom. You know, mm-hmm. it's like dumb. And then it's also really, it's the opposite. It speaks to everything I love to write about. So, um, you know, I wanted to just go out swinging and be like, let's do a book that just, just hits hard. We do variants. We do all of it. It's like nineties image. Let's just go for it. And just be like, you know, that's what the market needs right now. And it's the kind of book we love to do. Tony's art speaks to it, all of it. So um, that, that was the goal was like, let's secure it. So no matter what happens, we can make this book. You know what I mean? And just get our six issues for the first arc. We have it planned out for like 30, 35 issues. There's no, there's, it's really ongoing, ongoing. Nice. Um, Like on discovered country, you know, or American Mm -hmm. vampire. But uh uh, you know, I wanted to make sure we could at least get the first trade done because if the, if the, if there is a market, if like, unless something cataclysmic happens, mm. we'll, we'll start making money on the book around issue five. So for people out there interested in making an indie comic, what usually happens is you make your money from the royalties of the sales. Um, you know, an indie company like image, they take very little compared to like what DC or Marvel take. So they're very generous with their royalties but um, you have to sell past a certain point and to, to see any of that. Um, it's not a very high, it's not a super high point, but the idea is you don't start seeing royalties um, until about issue three coming out. When issue about issue three is published is when you start to see royalties from issue one. But by the time issue three is coming out, as you can imagine, you're usually working on issue five. So that, that's six, seven months of work before you start to make anything from it. Um, so for this, the fun was, can we make enough money to pay through issue five or six? So that way we know we're secure until the book sinks or swims on its own. And that was really it. And so the fact that it's gone as well as it has has allowed me to 
fund the next couple of books that are in that same supply chain that <clears throat> aren't going other methods like book publisher, film rights first, or all that. Mm-hmm. There's a couple other books, the first of which we announced today, this book chain with Ariella, Christentina, and it's a lot of fun. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a lockbox high suspense uh, tree where it's almost like a zombie farmhouse kind of thing where it takes oh. place in this uh, Arctic, uh, Arctic um, ice core research center where this woman is working and all of a sudden these different characters start showing up in the, in the storm and uh, they're all there. And, and, and uh, what she starts to realize is she's isolated from everything up there that the, the um, food chain for some strange reason has begun turning on humanity like level by level. Um, and, uh, so every six hours, another level turns on us in a different way. And so it's up to the top right now. So they're afraid that, you know, mammals, all this is going to change. And, and there's all the, there's more, uh, there's more of like a specific breakdown. So it's not just like fish, birds, it kind of goes up <laughs> different ways. So it's a lot of fun. Uh-huh. Um, and as they they had there, there's a whole reason why they all showed up there and, and what might happen. So it's this really high it's a different kind of book because it's all claustrophobic and takes place in this, um, this one place and there's a murder. So it's like, it's a mystery about who's, who's really there for what, like if you ever saw the movie like devil or, you know, saw or one of those, it's that kind of a feeling of why, what's the secret behind these people. So I I really love it. Her art is fantastic. I was, I met her through um, Mark Doyle and uh, Will Dennis, who's editing all the books for me on uh, Best Jacket, he was the former head of Vertigo, uh, and he's the one that like hired me uh, with American Vampire back in the day. Uh, oh. So, uh, yeah, I'm really, really thrilled about it. So that's <clears throat> that's like the, a book that di- sort of is directly now funded because this campaign did so well. So we're actually <clears throat> we haven't said it yet, but we're, she actually she did a print that we're going to throw in for free for everybody too for the for the book on top of the Jorge Jimenez print. So. Oh, that's a sweet deal. Nice little thing. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, with, with Noctara, it seems like it's set in a dystopian future. Uh, and I really love the description of it. What, what do you think sets this, uh, this story apart from all the other books that have come out, you know, uh, recently, you know, set in that same sort of, uh, future? You mean like, uh, zombie stuff and post apocalyptic? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, what I love yeah. about it is that it's a, it, the darkness is this mystery. So for example, like um, some people believe it's the ninth plague, believe that it's biblical um, and that it, you know, cause darkness is the ninth plague in the old Testament before the killing of the firstborn and all that stuff. So there's, uh, and then there are people that believe it's supernatural. And then there are people that believe it's cosmic. It's a cosmic phenomenon that has to do with dark matter. There are people that believe that it's uh, just a, a random, it's aliens, you know? So, um, one of the things I love about it is that the, the, the story is about a character, this woman, Val, who, when she was growing up, before she was adopted, she was orphaned. When she was, uh, before she was adopted, she had these really bad cataracts, and her vision was pretty awful. And so uh, once she was adopted, she had this corrective surgery, and her vision is fine now. But she remembers what it was like to live in the dark, and she developed all these kind of – this very um, – these adaptive skills and she's not afraid of the dark at all. And so her call sign is a truck. She's a trucker in this world. She drives like an 18 wheeler with all these weaponized lights on it. It's pretty badass. <laughs> um, her call sign on her helmet is the sun as she saw it when she was a little girl, when she had these cataracts to just remind herself that she got through that, she'll get through this. It's no big deal. Um, and, uh, 
And at first she's very much like, she's just about protecting her brother, her adopted brother, um, making it through surviving and that's it. And then in the first arc, she starts to realize there might be a, um, a way of figuring out the nature of the darkness. If she, she takes on a passenger on one of her uh, trips that it turns out might've been part of what caused all of it. So she starts to realize there might be a way of undoing it. There might be a way of figuring out what it is, all of this. So it goes from somebody being, you know, uh, just getting through every day, surviving, doing the best you can to this, someone who's really on a quest to save the world. So I really, I love it in that way. Cause I, I mean, I love the apocalyptic, um, you know, I love all zombies. Zombies are one of my favorites ever. And I'll watch any zombie thing ever from like <laughs> the worst ones to, you know, I'm, I'm up for anything. Um, I just saw a really good one actually alive. Did you see this one? Um, Hashtag no. live. It's Korean. I think it's Korean, uh, but it's, uh, it's good. It's literally like a zombie apocalypse happens and it's, it's, I think it's done in the time of Corona, but it's about a guy like who's the last guy who isn't a zombie, like in his, his apartment complex and how, oh. like how it's really good. It's on, I think it's on Netflix right now, but the, um, anyway, the, yeah, the second I see it's a zombie thing, I'll watch it. Um, but, uh, the thing I like about this, uh, the, you know, zombie thrillers, um, for me are like, it's this, and the, you know, the first movie that ever scared me to death was Night of the Living Dead, uh, the original <laughs> one. It was like, I don't know if I've told you this before, but like, uh, I've, I've told this story a, a couple times, but there was a video store where I was growing up down in, the, um, the Lower East Side of Manhattan called the Video Stop. And it was on 23rd Street, 26th Street and 3rd Avenue, I still remember. And um, they wouldn't rent R-rated movies to kids. They'd deliver them if you called, like, and they would deliver them to your house. So it was this, like, big neighborhood secret. And um, I remember we would watch all the 80s slasher movies, you know, when I was, like, nine years old or 10. It was, like, Sleepaway Camp 2 and Pumpkinhead and, like, every every horror movie bad, you know. And then one day I rented Night of the Living Dead. And uh, it was black and white. And I was like, oh, this is going to suck. You know what I mean? Like black and white. Come on, man. And uh, I watched the whole thing and it just really, I didn't like it. It like really upset me and I couldn't figure out why. And I had nightmares. Like one of the only times I've had nightmares from a film and I couldn't get it out of my head. Like this worry about zombies. And it's now, it's become my favorite, you know, horror film since. And the reason when I look back is just because it's so, such a perfect expression of what a, what horror can do, I think, which is take your worst fears and just give them feet and teeth and put them out in the world and say, it's this pure form of conflict where horror makes you face off with your biggest anxieties and your biggest uh, nightmares made material, you know? And it's either those things themselves are extensions of your fear or they bring out the things that you're most afraid of in yourself and in other people. And zombies are the latter. Um, and that movie in particular was like so merciless where everybody I thought was going to survive, you know, like, Oh, the little girl, no, she, the little girl does not survive. And she kills it, eats her mom and dad. Like, Oh, the young couple, the, the honeymooning couple get burned and eaten alive. And well, Ben has to make it out. Ben's the hero. Ben doesn't make it. You know what I mean? Well, Barbara, I mean, Barbara's so innocent. No, Barbara gets eaten by her brother. It's like, everything was just like, and then the ending, you know, where you see the cruelty of, of the humans and that they shoot Ben after all of it. I mean, spoiler, but it was, it's 60 years old. So if you didn't know, he's oh. like <laughs> long enough to long enough to wait. But the, um, the whole thing to me was like uh, just so 
profoundly moving where you're like, that's what good horror does. It, you know, it, it really, it really makes you face off with the things you're most afraid of and then reckon with them in some way. And so what I really like about this particular story and why, I mean, it's different from zombie things in all kinds of ways, like structural things, like, it's very hard to find a zombie film that's about, um, except for maybe World War Z, where it's about like curing, you know, the curing the zombie problem. It's more about like surviving the zombie problem. And, and this one is more of a quest about how to sort of stop this darkness and, and bring things back. So it's, it's part mystery and part thriller in that regard and, you know, travelogue. But um, the thing I really love about it is that instead of it just being kind of um, the world goes to hell and, you know, everybody's kind of fighting to survive. The metaphor of it for me is built on the things that, you know, I, it, it, I think we're, we're all, we're in the zeitgeist right now. I mean, it's literally about a darkness that, that forces us apart from each other to live in these small lighted outposts that are like silos. And uh, anyone that stays in it alone too long turns into something monstrous. And I genuinely feel like right now, and the only way through it, what they mm-hmm. the only way through the story the only way out of the darkness is for the main character to kind of connect with, with a lot of people she wouldn't otherwise to try and figure out, you know, how to sort of risk, risk the the trip um, to where she has to go to, to, to stop this thing. So for me, you know, it speaks to what I think is going on now, you know, like we're driven apart when you're alone, you spiral, you know, you can spiral and insulate yourself into with all kinds of, beliefs about other people with all kinds of beliefs about what's true news, what's not true news, all of those things. Like when there's no collectivism and no sense of center, no, you know, no, um, no, no kind of uh, connectivity between people. It just, you know, for me, it's, it is like that. It's like a darkness that turns you monstrous if you're in it too long, you know? So I, I like, I like it in that regard. That's why it's different for me because it's, it's all those things. It's like a quest and it's kind of about this moment in a really, um, you know, a really direct way for, you know, what I'm thinking about with my kids in the world. So the one of the things that surprised me about Noctera when it came out, uh, just as a quick aside, because I've been wanting to ask you about this book for a while, Undiscovered Country. I see Noctera and, you know, as I look into more, it's, you know, we're dealing with like a bit of a, you know, zombie post-apocalyptic thing. But then I see Undiscovered Country that came out, which has been doing very well. I know issue eight comes out next week. Mm-hmm. And I, I, the first thing I've wanted to ask you about this book is, did you have inside information about what the hell is going to happen this year? Because what the <laughs> hell is up with that so time? That book is so strange because we started planning it and writing it like long before there was any pandemic or any of that stuff. I mean, it was all the way back in, you know, I mean, 20, literally like, you know, 2017. So, uh, uh, it's a very weird feeling. I think that the odd thing too, is like, you know, the things that are, uh, sort of real life parallels, like the pandemic and all the talk of walls and the kind of factionalism you see in the book, or you, you learn about soon about how the States go to war with each other and, Oh, you know, they 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 decide that they each need their own president, and it, it's all these kind of things that we built in long before all of this. Um, that stuff. What's interesting to me is like it's more circumstantially reflective. Um, it, it feels more just kind of a funny coincidence. The stuff that we really built the story around that I think is more resonant and goes back to what we were saying before a little bit, or resonant for us. I mean, is that you know it's an exploration of how isolationism as a kind of um, not just like a national policy, but just as something we all feel all the time or, or mm-hmm. look into 
um, is anti, it's just anti-American in some ways. You know, the idea that, the idea that we're founded on this idea that our differences make us stronger and that, you know, as a, we're all part of one epic generational story and there needs to be a sense of um, collective uh, sort of collective humility. And also I think pride, you know, in, in the way that everybody's, everybody's opinion in life is supposed to matter equally. Um, but uh, we're in a moment when I think it's easier than ever because of the way that we consume culture and entertainment and all of it and news, especially and information to just sort of bubble wrap yourself in things that you want to um, experience or believe for yourself. And sometimes those things are at the expense of other people, you know, or to block out things that are uncomfortable for yourself or to say, you know, that's, that's something that's inconvenient for me to think about right now. The fact that, you know, my car, this, you know, how I'm living my life might be hurting the environment or, and that's just one example of a million. Mm -hmm. It's always, there's so many ways to kind of buffer yourself now against anything that makes you uh, feel any kind of discomfort with the way that you've been living your life or all of that. And those things are really healthy. You know, I mean, I think it's a healthy thing, you know, growing up in the city, that was just the way it was. Like you felt I love New York city and I love living there. And we always planned on moving back. We just got kind of priced out. <laughs> we got oh. out, uh, out of school out here, out of med school um, and that stuff. But the, I, you know, I loved it because you'd ride the subway or you, you know, you just be walking down the sidewalk and you might not like anybody, you know, you you're meeting that day at all. You're like stuck in it together. You know what I mean? And there was a pride in that and a feeling, especially after things like nine 11 or whatever, where you're like, you know what, we're all New Yorkers and we're all in this together, even if like we have nothing in common or, you know, you don't like my music. I don't like your, like, this is, you know, you're stuck next to each other. There was a, there was almost like a kind of joy in that and a kind of like, you know, you like each other because you're all made the decision to live near each other, no matter what. Mm -hmm. And that feeling to me was very American, you know, it, it very, very, um, just very much sort of cut to the core of what I love about the founding principles of stuff. It doesn't mean like people have to live in cities or, you know, there's nothing, I'm not disparaging, not, not doing that. I just think the mentality of understanding that you have to share all of it with everyone and you have to consider everybody, even if you don't agree with them and you don't want to have to deal with them and all of it, you know, because of their beliefs or because you just know you have nothing in common, whatever it is like that there's, there's just uh, that the drive towards that is, you know, as strong as, or hopefully a little less strong, but as strong as the drive towards our better angels, you know, which is, I think, to, to understand that we have this tremendous potential because of the beautiful kind of aspirational um, founding ideas that, that we're built upon, you know, that this country is built upon even if we never come close to attaining them and we're always like hypocritical and, you know, terribly sinful about all kinds of stuff in our past, there's this sort of promise of what we could be and that all of that's built on all of us doing it together or at least considering each other, even when we disagree. And I think undiscovered country is very much built around that idea of the dangers of isolationism at every level. So every zone is kind of built around um, or built off of uh a mutation of kind of a common American uh, sort of American ideology. So like the zone we're in, right. The first zone we were in was almost like 
it was a territory where people migrated uh, that really was, was pretty lawless, unregulated, no taxes, live free or die, you know, but it provided certain resources for the rest of it. Everyone had a function. Like, so the zone we're in right now was the big high tech zone. It was sort mm. of like the big ingenuity, the big uh, uh, sort of progressive hub of, of all kind of uh, industrial um, innovation. And so the belief in this one was that uh, we reach higher through our, uh, our history of technological um, achievement, you know, from the light bulb to automobile to, you know, all of it, like all these, the television, all of these incredible American inventions that, that that's what makes us sort of connect is this, are these, these wonder, wonderful things we're able to make because we're the, you know, we, we have this system and it's, a, but the idea is that each of the zones in isolation becomes this monstrous thing because disconnected from any context or people that would disagree with it or outside of it, it, you know, almost mutates into these, these weirdo, really fun things. Mm -hmm. But the driving force of the book or the thing that I love about it is that all of that sublimated beneath like crazy ass mutant starfish and like fish monsters and flying Buffalo and like, magical weirdo trains that pop out of the ground. And so we wanted to feel above all fun and like land of the lost. So, because the question was like the, you know, what, what does it feel like to write th something that has parallels in the real world? That's why mm -hmm. I start from that angle. But mm -hmm. normally when I talk about the book, it's like, where do you see what's coming next? It is out of control. Like it's a prehistoric world where it's actually, instead of going forward in time, like backwards in time. And it's like that fun. Mm -hmm. so, the goal is always to have those underpinnings or the things that we're exploring really sublimated beneath like the kind of, if that's the undercurrent and the raging kind of river above it of like just zany joy and emotional, big epic soap opera character work, you know? See doc, I told you, you got to pick this up. That's right. I've been it's meaning hard. to, and it's just, you know, the, the, the uh, pandemic hit and my comic book shop closed uh, for <laughs> renovations and stuff. So I haven't had a chance uh, to pick it up, but but listening to you, you know, talk about that, and 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 earlier you said, you know, your love for for indie comics and, and indie labels. What have you found, or what has your experience been from a creative standpoint? The difference between writing for indie labels and and especially doing this Kickstarter campaign versus writing for DC and some of the bigger labels. Yeah, that's a great question, Doc. I mean, it's like it's really uh, they're kind of an inverted process where like. Writing a superhero comic, you know, like Batman, right? I mean, everybody already loves the mythology. Everybody loves the character. And they're just hoping you don't screw it up, like you come in. So you're kind of going in there and you're pouring your heart and soul into it saying, I'm going to write my fears and my vulnerabilities into this book and then have Batman make me brave when I face off with them and, and all of that stuff. But you're kind of, the world is built, but you're kind of selling them on you as somebody who is coming in to do it. Creator on is the reverse. The whole the world is totally unbuilt, and it's all a leap of faith that you're creating together, and you're inviting them into something that's a total mystery to them. Um, but they have like a little faith in you. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's almost like totally opposite muscles, where there's a different there's a different level of kind of. Um, it's like one is working within a box, and it's I love it, and I'll always want to do it. Superheroes. Um, the other is like creating the box, making sure you're making it and it, enjoying the sort of constraints that you're putting on yourself because everything's so free. So, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. remembering that they don't already love that, that your character the way they love Batman and saying, how do I make them fall in love with Val the way I love Val? 
you know, and that. So they're, they're really like different muscle sets, you know, and I, there was a period when I was, um, I gave up working on creator own for a year plus almost when I was doing a, Superman Unchained and Batman at the same time. And it was, I loved both books and I loved both um, teams, but uh, I, I got like genuinely depressed at the time working on it. I couldn't figure out what was going wrong. because I was just like, why am I having such anxiety where I can't, I just feel constantly, like I would sit down and have panic attacks working on the books where start typing, your, you know, the voice in your head. For me, like when I panic or anxiety, go through a bad period with, anxiety or depression it's like a almost like a voice not literally but just your, your mind telling you stuff where you're like you're seriously gonna write that sentence that's the worst fucking sentence ever <laughs> you're really you're serious you think that's a good plot because that's not a good plot and then your heart starts to go and you feel yourself like you're the alarm bells of your body it feels like you're gonna like have a heart attack and you're like i'm gonna get up i'm gonna walk around the house i sit back down do this again sit back down you're seriously gonna type that sentence that's worse than the last one the same thing heart, panic attack get up walk around and and it was like it was greg was the one that really talked me off the I, I i at one point i was ready to call dc and be like i just need like a week or two to just get myself together because i'm not doing well with this and capullo he was awesome he was just like he's like you know give me this pep talk he was like that sentence is fucking awesome you're not listening to that with your head look at that look at that i'm gonna draw the shit out of this man you know like all right, all right. you know he's great but um I realized the reason was because I didn't have any creator own. I had no place to go that was mine. Right. And that's where you draw a lot of confidence, you know, for me is like, there's always somebody who knows Batman better than you, you know, I'm no Superman better than you. I mean, I do my homework. I love Batman. I would certainly go on any Batman trivia show, but I mean, I don't, I don't know there, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there, you always feel intimidated because you grew up loving yeah. the characters and they're always going to be bigger than you. Like, right. you know, outside of you whereas you know you making your own stuff nobody knows pearl jones better than me because i made her up you know what i mean <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah you don't know i could just do something else so that you know i could make her do you know I, even if you get it right and i get it wrong i could change her and make me myself right right so it's like the you you there's a there's a there's kind of a home base or like a treehouse quality to working on your own stuff because no matter what you're it's a pure expression of stuff that matters to you and that you love. And there's no, no one that can tell you you're wrong. I mean, you, someone can criticize your storytelling, you know, and rightly so and all that, but they can't get at the heart of it and say, that's not the character. You know what I mean? The way they can with Batman and Superman and all that. Right. So it was quick. I, I remember realizing that was the problem. You know, I was talking to Tynan and he was like, you got to just start writing for yourself because it was the same when I was working in books before I got into comics. Uh, I always wanted to get, I always wanted to work in comics, but I, uh, I wanted to be a comic artist. And then um, when I realized I, I just wasn't good enough. And I also, I couldn't figure out how to take classes for it when I was in college and all this stuff, I started falling more into writing. And then uh, I wound up writing a book of short stories. And then I, you know, that came out and then, that got me a book deal for a novel and I was working on the novel when the economy crashed. And I didn't realize that, uh, I didn't realize that like with a book deal, they give you the money mostly at the end, <laughs> not, mm-hmm. they give you some at the beginning and you're like, wow, I have some money, you know, and not, it wasn't a lot of money. I just mean, I was a kid. So I was like, wow, me and my girlfriend, I have my wife now, you know, have money. Um, 
<laughs> you know, let's buy a house. The, um, and then you realize, <laughs> holy shit. They have to accept and like the book at the end to get the real money that they right. promised you, whatever. And they can decide at any point they don't. And um, when the economy contracted in 2006, was like 2007 and books were like one of the first things to start to clap. It was like, uh, the book you're writing about, like the guy I was, it was like about a barnstormer crossing the country. Um, spoiler, I'm actually doing it now as a comic in for best jacket, which I, and I love it out. Yeah. It's about a barnstormer. And I love, I love, I love this era of American history, the right after world war one before world war two. And it's this like explosion of, um, ingenuity and invention and all of this, but there's this like looming, looming danger of, you know, world war two coming by 19, the late twenties, early thirties. And, but this period of almost like weird optimism. And so it's about, and, and you could come back from world war one and they, the planes were already outdated. So you could buy them. And then it, you could buy your Jenny, like it was it was a Curtis Jenny and uh, four, and you could buy the plane for really cheap. And then people would buy them and just bring them back here and fly them around the country. And no, most people had never seen a plane, obviously, so they would fly into these towns and be like, "Who wants to ride in my plane for fifty cents?" And take them up in the air and sleep under the wing of the plane. And so anyway, it's just it's about a guy who who does that, and I loved it. But they were like, uh, "This needs to uh, have some." explosions and action and it was like that kind of a feel where it was like it needs to be a bestseller mm. anyway not to go down too big a rabbit hole but the whole idea was like there was a good year plus right before i broke into comics where i was working on this book and i hated like every minute of it because i had loved working on it but suddenly i knew that they weren't going to accept it unless it was like a bestseller and I wasn't that kind of a book and and i was like struggling to make it that and it was the worst contorted feeling and there was nothing I felt I was working on for me. And what happened was a buddy of mine, um, Owen King came and was like, I'm doing this anthology of short stories where people who like comics make up a superhero or supervillain of their own. And most of them were like jokes. It was pretty funny. It was like, one of them was like the meerkat and one was like, uh, you know, a superhero support group for people with lame powers and stories like that. Uh, but mine, I, did, I took it really seriously and did one about a, a guy who was a sailor and a, a cadet near the in the bikini atoll test and developed these powers. And comic book editors came to the reading for it: uh, Janine Schaefer from Marvel and Mark Doyle from DC. And uh, they were like, "Is anyone here a really big comic fan?" And I was like, I, "I just came from Forbidden Planet. I have comics in my bag. I've always wanted to do it." And they were like, "Do you want to pitch for comics?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." And I started pitching and doing one shots, little things for them. And my wife was just like, why are you doing this? Like it pays like nothing. Mm. <laughs> and uh, if you can finish this book, um, you know, we'll actually have some money. And I was just like, I will finish it. I'm just like, can I have like two weeks to just do some of this? Because it's the only thing making me happy right now because I'm just making up my own stuff. Like, and the, the room, they gave me like, you know, it's like making up American Vampire for Mark. And, and I already had that in my head. And then it was also like um, for Janine, she gave me um, Iron Man Noir, which was like, there was no rules. So it was just like making an Iron Man story that, that was like in my, one of my favorite eras again, like the 19, mm -hmm. like the 1930s, you know, and he was like Doc Savage. <laughs> and, uh, and so I was so fun. And I remember just saying to her, I was like, it's the one thing making me really happy is being able to just be creative over here. And she's like, okay, well then 
why don't you do that? And uh, we'll take out another loan and, you know, really pitch. If that's what you want to do and you're miserable, then just tell Random House you're going to dissolve the book deal and uh, they don't have to worry about you anymore. And I was like, that's why she's amazing. You know? Yeah, that's awesome. Damn. Yeah. So, I mean, that I just I know I remember what it feels like to not have a space. It's the worst feeling when you don't have a space to go to where you're enjoying yourself creatively. And instead, you're you're working on things that are really high pressure and really, uh, you know, belong to someone else. And when I have both, like when I have something my own, I can write like death metal all day long. And I love I love it. I love death metal. It's like my favorite. It's my it's probably my. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's the culmination of one big story, but it's like the ending. It's like my favorite story possibly that I've done, you know, DC wow. web. The ending to me is like, was the most fun I've had writing. Oh, I can't wait for this. It's crazy. <laughs> and it's really emotional too, dude. I was just talking to Jeff Johns yesterday about the thing we're doing together. And like, it's a mo it's, a, it's the end of an era, you know, in a lot of ways, not because it's me or him, but you know, the stuff at DC and comics in general is just changing in a big way. And, I, de I genuinely believe it's going to be for the better in, in lots and lots of ways. Like all the stuff we talked about, about Kickstarter at the beginning, the idea of, of that comic fans are still so rabid for comics. And we're having a we were having a banner year at DC, even when they fired everybody. I mean, we really were, I mean, it was doing, we were doing great and black label in particular was doing great. And, um, you know, it was just one of those things where they just needed to cut budgets. So they fired a lot of people who were doing well. Mm -hmm. too but um as bad as that is i feel like the other side of it marie being one of the heads uh she's amazing i've been working with her nonstop for like years now um and she deserves it and uh and the approach that it looks like they're gonna have to it is is really seems really committed to comics and to the direct market as well as digital as well as ya and all that stuff so i'm hopeful you know i really am but the idea of DC comics as it was and the way that we published and the number of things that we published and the way that it, the, the, the care, the people that ran it and the people that were major creators there, all of it, all of that has kind of changed, you know, it's like going to a neighborhood where it's like, you know, you grew up and then you're like, Oh, nobody really lives here that I knew, but I'm really excited for the next people and all of that, that feeling, you know, of being like, I can't wait to see what you do. The prescriptive stuff they have is great. I'm still a part of it. I'm still doing uh, two big projects for them next year, but not, um, I'm not taking anything that's like the mainline grind at this point. I want to be able to give other people room and mm -hmm. yeah. focus on my own stuff more. Um, but I'm definitely still have a big hand over there. Nice. But it's more like, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the end of death metal is all about that. It's about, it's about Wonder Woman realizing you can't just restart the multiverse, you know, take the crisis energy and make a big crisis. You have to, you have to sort of, instead of that, you have to realize like connect to the past. Everything is part of one story. You have to reckon with the things you did wrong and the things you did right, celebrate those. And then even if what's coming on the other side of it is, is scary right now, it might be even better. So you have to like let go and let it be and be a part of it, engage it, you know, be excited. And so that's very much about like what it's about. So we've tried to make a lot of the beats and a lot of the things towards the end, especially ring true about that. Even, even the kind of creators that we've brought in, you know, we brought in a bunch of people that I think are real legacy people on certain characters like Gail Simone, 
uh, writing some stuff for uh, Black Canary and uh, and uh, Mark Wade writing stuff for Superman, Jeff Lemire writing stuff for Green Lantern, um, a lot of that. Uh, and then also having brand new people who we're really excited about um, come in and, and do stories as well for the final battle of the multiverse from, you know, Viola uh, and Chris Sabella and Shea Grayson and all these, you know, and Matt Rosenberg. A lot of people were in my class when I taught for DC. So that's the feeling is we want it to feel like, you know, let's celebrate comics history and also welcome comics future and be stronger together that way, you know. I'm ready to run through a damn wall right now, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. man. So, so speaking of uh, – that's, that's fucking awesome. Pardon my French. Uh, <laughs> but Nick and I are both huge uh, fans of DC's Black Label. And I wanted to know – we both want to know, really, how do you find writing for Black Label differs from writing regular sort of main titles, you know, DC? Do you get a little bit more of that – indie feel with some, with some creative freedom even though you're still working say with batman uh, yeah so yeah, what they were, you the biggest difference for you yeah well we're doing like last night on earth that was a story that i had planned out a long time ago um it really was like the <clears throat> beginning of it came to me back when i was doing zero year because grant had told me when i was just starting on batman to make him yours and to not freak out all the time you have to kind of give your version a beginning and an end that's your take on that and so zero year was kind of my take on his origin where i tried to make it something different and if year one was um which is one of my favorite books ever but if you're if year one was like um grounded and grim uh, like and gritty and street level and all of you know i wanted to make zero year like punk rock and pink and green and instead of it being compressed decompressed big over the top, all these things, you know? Um, but the ending was always last night on earth where it was really, I had this idea for what would Batman, how would he deal with his own mortality? You know, Frank's version is the dark Knight. you know, I mean, Grant's version is Batman six, six, six and Batman Inc. And all these things that he, he did. Um, my version, I just feel like there'll always be a Bruce Wayne, you know, taking care of Gotham. And so I had this idea that Bruce would create a machine that would bring a new Bruce to life every 27 years, you know, after, uh, for detective 27, something like that after, you know, he was older as Batman. And, uh, once that happened, the old Batman would kind of clear out the cave. The new one would be welcomed and then Gotham would adapt itself to him. And that would be his new, you know, there'd always be a Bruce Wayne. And I just always loved that idea. It was just my, my, Bruce, that's what he would do, you know, and not, not everybody's version would do that at all, but me and Greg, that's what he did. And, and Sean did that story with me, Sean Murphy, when we did detective 27, I guess, for the new 52, um, we did a short and I loved it. And I was like, I have to get back to this thing. And so I told Greg and Greg was like, we got to do it sometime. But then it became clear. I couldn't do it with Greg because we were still on Batman and he started to talk about doing reborn and so I was like, I'll do with Sean. And then um, Sean had such a big hit with White Knight. He was still going to do, uh, he was still going to do this with me. But then I just felt weird about it because I was like, dude, you have your Batman. You shouldn't have to do mine. Like that's yeah. not. Mm -hmm. so, and then Greg got free, and I was like, oh, awesome. And then they opened Black Label, and it was perfect. Where I was like, this is exactly like planets aligned. Yeah. So um, 
the black label stuff, it was working with Mark Doyle, who was the one that came to that reading uh, and is my best friend at DC who literally cleaned out his desk two days ago, which just sucks. Mm -hmm. He is the worst. Um, But I have really high hopes for, for him. He's just one of those people that like he was doing, they were doing great. I mean, so there's no, the logic is just that, you know, I understand, but they need to trim budgets, you know, and that's it. um, Anyway, like, working with Doyle was a dream. He was always like story first and he was in his element in black label. He worked at vertigo first and then he was doing, he edited Batman with me. And then um, he went back when they opened black label. Well, we were on metal, the first metal, he was editing metal. And then we were a couple issues in and then he, they opened black label and had him go over there and do that. So um, these last few years he was there, he was just like, making all kinds of cool shit with like Daniel Warren Johnson and Francis Manipal and me and Sean's books and all that stuff. And, and three jokers and doomsday clock and all those things were like, you know, so it was just like, uh, it was an amazing experience where they gave you tremendous creative freedom. You know, they were things they didn't want you to do in terms of their rules about like, they don't want to see Batman being like a psycho killer. You know what I mean? Like, unless there's like a reason that you can, you, know I mean? you don't want to break the, you don't want to take the character and like malform the DNA of the character right. in any real way. But what they want is for you to take the character and do something nobody's ever seen before that gives you a whole new take on why the character is so great. You know, that's, that's kind of the marching orders of black label superhero stuff. Okay. And that was what was so fun. I mean, I could put Joker's head in a jar and have it talk to Bruce and curse. Terrified me, to be honest with you. I couldn't read it. <laughs> it was, I, I, it's, I, one of, that and Zero Year are probably my favorite Batman things we did. But the uh, the whole the, – it was great. I love Black Label, and I really hope – they do have plans to keep it going. Um, so I'm very excited about that. And the things that are committed to it – I have a, a Nightwing book, actually, that I'm probably going to do next year at some point there. So Oh, yeah, sweet. Yeah, okay. excited. Very excited for that. Now, now, Doc and I are both excited for American Vampire, of course. So we know you got uh, American Vampire yeah. 1976 coming up. But I really – and I know because I know you got to get going. But I really – we both really wanted to ask you about uh, a particular Batman. You said how, you know, you can't sure. go and turn him into – um, you know, killer, psycho, all these different things with Black Label, but then we see Grim Knight. I know that Batman Who Laughed gets a lot of love, but I personally know when McFarlane re- releases the Grim Knight action figure, I'm going to be getting that. It's freaking yeah, awesome. Yeah, no, I, Grim Knight is one that I really loved, and I, I he makes a quick appearance in, in Death Metal also. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he was in, uh, he, was, he appeared for a second in um, Trinity Crisis, but he oh, comes cool. back at the end also because all the evil Batman come back in okay. the finale even the original dark knights and then um but that's just like one <laughs> faction there's like 10 armies of evil things so it's yeah crazy. you've been going crazy with that but is there any more grim knight because i know you did the one-off when he was with the bat the there was a seven issue series for batman who laughs is there any yeah more? Was, yeah no that is that we just we i needed a mini boss for the i originally was going to bring him into the first metal and then i honestly thought he would steal too much thunder from mm-hmm. the batman who laughs and that there wasn't kind of room for both of them and then i was like well if i do a batman who laughs series he'd be a perfect like henchman because I can't have the Batman who laughs doing everything. And then, cause it's like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like you need, you need the mini bosses. And I'm like, that guy would be perfect, especially if Jim Gordon's in it and all that. So I loved bringing him in there and he's, there's so many evil Batman. I, the, one last thing I'll say, and then also let me like plug this, but yes, American vampire comes back 
October. It's our 10th anniversary. We wanted to do this story like a year ago, but DC really wanted us to wait to the 10th anniversary. So it's been in our heads forever. And it's been the ending of the series for my original pitch. It's not ending, ending, but it brings us up to the present. So it's like it, it's 1976, and then you see a coda where we're here. Okay. And uh, I don't have any really big plans to like go back and do an 80s arc or 90s arc. <laughs> you know, it's more like I grew up in those eras, and yeah. so it's weird for me as opposed to the history, history, which is fun to imagine and explore. Okay. So, but we are going to continue in terms of doing cases like in the present that harken back to the past that have like histories, like a monster is doing something in the present. You go back and see the history and the characters that survive into the present, you'll see are part of those things. So it'll be a lot of fun. Almost like BPRD for, you know, Hellboy. Oh, okay. In a way. So uh, we're going to do it like that. And then we'll have some one-off things that happen in the past only, but it won't be this kind of march towards the present anymore. But the, uh, it's also, it's like a 10 issue arc that we've been, yeah, just it has everybody in it from Dracula to, you know, Felicia to Gus to like everyone. Travis is in it, like from the 50s rockabilly vampire killer, who's now kind of like a 70s Elvisy looking kind of guy. And uh, but he, he's like hunting vampires in New York and he uh, he goes to this disco and he rigs the lights on the floor, the colored lights with solar lamps. So these vampires that come in and are like partying at this disco, he like burns them from the floor. It's my favorite. Awesome. Yeah, but um, yeah. So American Vampire. So um, back to uh, uh, going back to um, Grim. We were talking Grim Night. All right. Yeah. The, was that what it was? Was the oh, I was saying um, Death Metal, the very end. Mm-hmm. What was I going to say? Uh, what was your favorite dark Batman? Oh, I know what I was going to say. Sorry, I was going to say that um, there was a a moment when. Um, because because of, there was a lot of volatility like at DC over the last couple of years, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, there were um, not not in some horrifying way, just more that there was a big plan. There was a big plan for this five G kind of stuff, and then um, that I didn't know how to tie to that with metal, and it wasn't like contentious. It was more just like I don't know how to make this do that because this is not about that kind of thing. This is about, um, you know this is some, we have been planning this for two years as something else. And I, you know, don't know how to connect to that, but I was trying to give them the levers they wanted. And at one point they were like, you know what? You guys take two months. I'm like, what do you mean two months? And they're like, take the line over for two months. I'm like two months, like take the whole line. Yes. Take 60 books, like 30 each month. And I'm like, my God. So I went to Marie and Marie was like, all right. So we like came to, we had this big summit at my place. Not big. It was just me, James, Marie, Marie flew in and <laughs> Josh. And uh, we, we Skyped in with the people that, uh, you know, um, were working on it with us. This is like a year ago, you know, um, about, and uh, we made like 60 books where it was like Sergeant rock and the whatever, and like shadow packed and swamp rock and all, like all these like crazy, it was really fun. I mean, it was huge. It was a lot of crazy shit. And there was a lot of books devoted to the Dark Knights, also like Batmage, and there was one that was fully about the monster truck Batmobile and his Transformers planet, where there was like a Joker, also a Joker thing, and there was uh, Grim Knight had more real estate there too. There was oh. about the, it was called like OG Dark Knights, and it was like the you know it was like it was gonna be good. And then, uh, but then what happened was uh, D- Dan left. 
And then they definitely wanted the two months. So we were really going into it. And then COVID hit and they were kind of like, we're not sure now if what we're doing, like whether we're going to be able to do that. And um, we just weren't sure. And then at one point they said, we don't know if we're going to do anything, any tie-ins at all. So then it was like, okay, no worries. But, you know, I got to, I want to make sure that the Batman we really want to see, we want to see, I can't count on those. So we kind of brought them in as much as we could. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, the story didn't change much one way or another, the main story, but just, you know, giving a nod to like the monster truck Batman, that kind of stuff that wouldn't be elsewhere. <laughs> right. And then, um, and then what they wound up doing was expanding it back out and then giving us a really great number of tie-ins like we have, which is kind of a perfect fit, but some things got left on the cutting room floor. Like for example, Aquaman had a much bigger role. Um, really? Does because he, he was the thread that went through a lot of that 60 issue stuff. Um, so I, I, that I feel bad. Like we don't have a lot of Aquaman in it. Um, there was more with, uh, 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 there was more with, um, the multiverse a little bit, although James really did a good job with this upcoming special multiverse end. Um, okay. yeah, there was just a lot, there was a lot more of like, uh, everybody like, okay. you know, Lex had a whole thing and there was a whole history of death metal, what the death metal is and. Like it was a lot of fun, but I'm also glad because it would have fucking killed me like to do <laughs> overseeing 60 books, you know, even though I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty light touch, you know, I'm not, I'm not like a tyrant with that stuff at all. I'm pretty like, you know, as long as you don't go against the story that we're trying to tell, I'm like, do what you want, you know? Yeah. Um, that's, there was a lot more about a lot more characters. It was more just, it didn't happen, but I, I love it the way it is. So I'm, I'm really happy. And it would have probably put me in the ground to like have to do that much stuff. <laughs> well, I think the event's gone on really well so far. I mean, one thing Doc and I have talked about before is how there can be so many books for the events and it can be hard to figure out where, you know, how to keep up and everything. And this one has been, I, I've really enjoyed it so far. And I, as much as I like metal, I think I like death metal a little bit more. I like um, it more. So yeah, I, I, like, I love metal, but this one, I, I knew going in, I was like, we're going all out this time. And I, like, I learned the math better of events, like of how to, you know, because that was my first medal was the first one I was terrified. And I was terrified because, you know, I not only had I not done one, but I was away from everything. I had been doing All-Star Batman and, uh, you know, um, I hadn't really been uh, very present at DC. You know, I had been I had been outside the line while Tom did uh, his Batman. and All-Star was kind of its own thing. And um, so doing metal and Greg had been gone. Greg had been with with Mark Miller. So, you know, coming back and not having story threads, not having things that you were pulling on was really scary because an event is usually built off of, you know, years of threads. And uh, this time around, it was the opposite. It was like, all right, we've laid a lot of groundwork. A lot of it got like, you know, uh, sort of like altered a bit. There were all kinds of things. Like uh, there was like... A, a, a box that was in No Justice that was given to Green Arrow it was supposed to play out a different way. And oh, yep. All yep. the way to the villain. A lot of that stuff, like, we, we were supposed to do metal a lot earlier than we're doing it right now, meaning death metal. Um, uh -huh. And uh, the whole, a lot of the year of the villain stuff came in um, later, and, you know, we were happy to be a part of it, but um, we had a more compact and more compressed kind of runway to what we were doing at first. Um, but you know, it all worked out. We're happy, but 
coming into this one, I know, I, like I knew my story and how it had built and what to do and how big I could go and all the characters. And I knew I had things to pull from the books that people had been reading mm-hmm. and Doomsday Clock. Cause I knew, you know, Jeff and I have, had been talking a lot and that stuff too. So there were all kinds of ways of like pulling everything together you know, yeah. and making it an event in earnest. So yeah. I'm really excited about that. Doc, I don't know how I'm going to sleep after this. I don't know about you. This is yeah, exciting. It's been absolutely <laughs> tremendous. And Scott, I can't, we can't thank you enough for taking the time with us tonight. This is, uh, this has been awesome. Absolutely. No, it's a pleasure. We got to do it again. Like do yeah. it again towards the end of death metal or something. It'll be fun. Well, hell yeah. Definitely. We'll definitely take you up on that. Thank you so much, Scott. Appreciate it. And good luck with uh, finishing off Nectar and then uh, with the campaign and continuing forward thank with you. image. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it.